if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn in them to 2 Samuel chapter 23. The title of the message today is From Here to There. I'm going to move over to the side and read off the big screen. Just a side note, it is a good idea to like have your own Bible and like check the scriptures because um, we, you know, text can be, we can type anything in there. We don't, but you know, it's always good to test the word. But uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23 Starting in verse 8, it says, These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Joshabim, the Hakamite, who was leader of the three, the three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Everyone say that's legit. That's legit. 800 in a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dodei, a descendant of Ahoah. Once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. Now, just a question. How many people have that friend? Shows up when the good stuff happens. You know, how many are that friend? I'll pray for you. Yes. (laughs) We should go get Slurpees, Pastor Jeremy. Your job's so easy. Ha. Everybody, make Seb take all your youth for Slurpees, because I bought him a lot of Slurpees. Next in ranks was Shammah, son of Agi from Harar. One time, the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. Now we're going to verse 18, I believe. Nope. Once during the harvest... uh, Abishai, son of Zuriah, so here's another one, the brother of Joab, was the leader of the 30. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. It was by such feats that he became as famous as the three. Abishai was the most famous of the 30 and was their commander, though he was not one of the three. There was also Benaiah, son of Jehodai, a valiant warrior from Kebzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once armed with only a club, only with a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than the other members of the thirty, though he was not one of the three. And David made him captain of his bodyguard. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. I thank you today that your word's alive. It's powerful. It speaks to us right now where we are. I pray that you would bring this message to each and every person's heart, that they would hear your voice and know that you're right here, right now, to lead them into all the things that you have promised and called and purposed for them. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. 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 The title of the message today is From Here to There. Now, when we look at a list of men like this and these warriors, how many would say, I would love to be like that. You know, kill 800 soldiers with only a spear. Uh, When it talks about these champions of Moab or a mighty Egyptian, uh, if you know uh, anything about the Bible, if you don't know anything about the Bible, one of the first giants that was killed in Scripture was when David fought Goliath. But after this, these men that walked with David and they fought with David, there were actually numbers of giants that were killed after David killed Goliath. And, And it was almost like this. Something happened when David killed Goliath that there was a belief that, these other men could become and do these great things and, and, and complete these great feats. And, and I think all of us somewhere on some level, we wish 
Christian, we believe and we hope that there's something great inside of us. Maybe you want to be the greatest cake baker in the world. Maybe you want to be the greatest doctor. Maybe you want to be the greatest kids worker. I don't know what it is, but there's something that God's put on the heart in the heart and on the inside of us that we want to do something great with our life. We want to believe that we're valued. We want to believe that we can become more than there is now. Uh, And especially for boys, uh, when they're little, they want to believe that they can become a warrior. Right? I know I believe that when I was younger with my brother. Uh, I know my two boys, they believe that. Uh, my wife never had brothers. So when we had two boys come along, we had a girl first and we had two boys. Uh, one day I came home and I decided that I was at Princess Auto and I found boxing gloves, you know, in that like surplus section. So I brought my like three and five year old boys boxing gloves. My wife was not very impressed. And that night, we had the youth group over and all my youth leaders. There's about like 80 people in our house. And my five-year-old son comes upstairs. His name's Cohen. And he goes, Dad, his nose is bleeding. And my wife's all worried. He goes, Andrew's a better boxer than me. <laughs> Andrew's one of my youth leaders, and he's Seb's cousin. So if you've met Seb, he's a murder. And accidentally punched my kid in the face and... Thankfully, it was my kid, not somebody else's. But, uh, you know, like, there was something in them. And you don't have to teach little boys how to wrestle or how to fight. My wife didn't get that. And I said, "Hun, this is just normal. When I was younger, my brother and I would make uh, bows and we'd make arrows and we would shoot things. And we actually one time uh, shot these homemade bows and arrows in our bedroom and they would stick in the wall. And that's when my mom said, you're moving to the basement. You no longer get a bedroom upstairs. Uh, and, and one time I decided I was going to make a slingshot. I was probably like 12 years old and I wanted to make a slingshot, but you don't need just like an ordinary cheap wood slingshot. I was like, I need a metal slingshot. So I got some like rebar from my dad's shop and I cut all the metal pieces with a grinder to be how they should be. And I didn't weld them because I didn't know how at 12, but I was waiting for my dad to weld these together for me to make this slingshot. But I'm like, I need something to carry and protect my slingshot and these rocks. And I'm thinking of like David and Goliath. And David must have had a pouch, you know, some sort of like Herschel fanny pack or something like that. But, you know, he he must have had something to carry his sling and the stones in. And I'm like, I need a pouch. I don't know why this went through my mind, but it was like all I could think about. I need something to, to put this slingshot in. So I'm like, I need some cool fabric. And I couldn't find anything. And then I remembered my mom had just got a new couch set. So the upstairs, when you were kids, you remember when the upstairs living room set became the basement living room set? And they were still pretty nice, but I'm like, oh, we had this burgundy velour type sofa. I don't know why we had it, but it was downstairs now. I'm like, I got an idea. So I whipped that thing away from the wall, and I cut a two-by-two-foot square out of the back of this couch. I'm like, I now have like this awesome fabric to put my slingshot in. And I made like a pouch. And I just pushed it back against the wall. I'm like, nobody knows. Can't see it. That's what 12-year-old boys do, right? I forgot that my mother is one of those ladies that when she cleans, she just doesn't vacuum around stuff. Like, seriously, I don't pull out the couch. Who pulls out the couch when they vacuum, right? And, uh, and one day, uh, about a week or two later, I hear this scream, and suddenly from being brave and courageous and wanting to fight like 800 soldiers at once, that warrior spirit leaves you very quickly when your mom is very angry at you. Uh, so I 
think I've lived that one down now. Now my mom just, uh, I have two boys, and when things break and whatever, my mom's like, well, oh, good for you. Deal with it, right? Like, she's like, no sympathy, right? But there's something in us that wants to do great things, and, and we're willing to pay the price, and we, we, we want to become these great warriors, and, and we wish. I think a lot of us, when we look at these scriptures, and we look at these great men, these mighty men that were with David, and we, we look at David's life, if you read about it in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we wish we could be more like them. Um, I think in the heart of everyone, there's times where we feel like, God, I just wish I had more courage. I wish I had more strength. And we start comparing ourselves to other people. And when we do things like this and we look at the scriptures, then we really feel like, man, these guys were pretty awesome. And I just feel like I'm not really going anywhere. But the truth of the matter is, though we all want to be like this, I think for many of us, we find ourselves wishing we were there like these men are. But I think we find ourselves starting out here. Second, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22. If you go back a book, 1 Samuel 22, 1 to 2, it says this. And David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Dullam, and soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. The ESV says this. And everyone who was in distress... Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. The message translation says, not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. And David became their leader. From here to there. I don't know where you're at this morning. But I believe every single one of us at times... We have this here in our life. Maybe not in our entire life, but we just wish that God, I just wish that I could be there right now. I wish that I didn't have to go through this. I wish I didn't have to deal with this. And the phrases in these scriptures, uh, the words discouraged, disillusioned, disenfranchised, these are the things that keep coming out. And, and these, are, these are the same mighty men that at the end of David's life he tells about. But this is where they started. And for a lot of us, I think, we go through our lives and we're like, God, I wish I was there like these mighty men, but I really feel more like I'm here. Maybe it's in a financial area of your life. Maybe it's in a relational area. Maybe it's in a health area. I'm not saying all your life is bad, but every single one of us probably has a here that we wish we could just forgo and bypass and get to there. We think, God, I know you promised better. I know that you have better plans than this for me. But God, I don't see it right now. We're making our way into a new year. And for some of you, you can't wait for 27 to be, 2017 to be over. You're like, God, I am so glad that hopefully I can start over. And maybe it'll be better. And some of you are actually dreading it. Some of you are like, if it's anything like this year, I don't know if I can face another year. And for some of you, you're like, it's been great, but I'm going to tell you that there will come points and times where you will face things that will put you in a position to say, God, I don't want to be here. But I'm here this morning to remind us and to tell us that God is in the business of taking us from here to there. God wants to take us into purpose, into calling, into victory. You see, David, when he was about 16 years old, he gets anointed to be king over all of Israel. Shepherd boy gets overlooked by his family, but he gets called in. The prophet anoints him to be king over all Israel. Things start looking up. 
David eventually ends up on the battlefield, just kills a guy named Goliath, wins a girl, gets the gold. That's what happened. Whoever killed Goliath got one of Saul's daughters, got all the gold and stuff he wanted. He becomes a leader in Saul's army. Things are starting to look up. If you're going to become king, all of a sudden, Saul gets jealous of David, starts throwing spears at him. I'm pretty sure that wasn't in David's plan of getting from here to there. And then now we find David in this place in life where he's fleeing from Saul. He's been to Gath. He's in the wilderness, and he finds himself in this cave. And, and God said, David, you're going to be a great leader. You're going to lead my people. I've called you to be king. You're a man after my own heart. And then God starts bringing him people, these people, losers, vagrants, misfits. And everyone who was bitter in soul started gathering to him. David, you're going to be a great leader, and I'm going to start sending you people. And I'd be like, Jesus, can you send me new people? Uh, like, can I, can I trade these in some sort of fantasy draft, something like that? Like, you know, Jesus, I don't know if these are the people that are going to start doing the great things that you've called me to do as a king. Like, I'm already in this place. I don't want to be God. I'm already in the wilderness, and now you're telling me I'm going to start bringing you people. And, and if you know anything about people that are struggling with issues, you put 400 men with issues of discouragement, debt, bitterness, and all that stuff in the same cave. If you're not a good leader, that's going to go south real fast. And here's David. And these are the people that God starts sending to him. But there's something about the process of God in our lives that if we catch it and if we understand that he wants to bring us from the here of our situation into the there of his promise, we can keep moving forward in faith. You will face next year knowing that God is for me. He's with me. I don't have to do this on my own. It doesn't mean that every situation will be perfect, but I can become who he's called me to be. I can do the things that he's called me to do. But for some of us, we can get so stuck in the here. We're just like, God, I don't even know how I face that. Have you ever met these people that tell you, just enjoy the journey? I hate that. Enjoy the journey. What is that? I don't want to drive from Edmonton to Vancouver in 20 hours when I can do it in like 12. I got three kids in the vehicle, but my wife loves nature. She's a photographer. And let's pull over and look at the lake and let's just let the kids run around and play. I'm like, they don't want to run around and play. You just want better pictures. Oh, just enjoy the journey. Let's, let's stop. Let's take our time. I'm like, no. I want to get from here to there before my kids are so cranky and I want to do things to them that is not right. I want to keep myself under control. We need to get there, right? And, and, and some of us, that's the way we are with what we're dealing with with God. God is taking us somewhere and we've met a hiccup or a bump in the road or there's a delay and we're saying, God, I just want to get there. And God's saying, yeah, but there's so much good in your life. Can you enjoy my presence? Look what I'm doing. And you're like, God, I don't care about that right now. I just want this, this one thing that I'm focused on. I want it to be done and gone. I just want to get from here to there. When we, uh, we lived in BC for about two years, and we just moved back this summer, and this week my wife is really wondering why. Um, it was much warmer there, right, Dave, Lisa? They were on the island for Christmas, putting up pictures of green grass. My wife's, like, crying because... 
they have this beautiful Christmas, and it's like minus. We went skating on Christmas Day. My son got a hockey net for Christmas, and he's like, Dad, I want to skate. Dad, I want to skate. I'm like, dude, it's minus 27 before the wind chill. He's like, I don't care. And I'm like, I have to be a good parent and go out and skate. We lasted about an hour, and it was brutal. But, you know, we, we get these ideas and these places we want to be, and we just want to get there right away. And we lived in Vancouver for just under two years, and we had friends come visit us uh, last summer, this past summer, and they came, and they wanted to go to the beach, and they got two small kids, and their kids are really little, so it was more just hang out and talk and let the little ones play in the sand, and my kids are all under the age 11, and so we went to a quieter beach, went to Crescent Beach, and it's nice there. It's a little more family-oriented, um, still pretty busy for a beach in BC. Go to the lakes. They're much more quiet. It's a lot nicer, but we went to Crescent Beach, and then they're like, well, we heard White Rock is great. We want to go to White Rock Beach. We want to see the pier. We want to go get food. And I'll tell you something. White Rock is great. If you're under 30 and you don't have children, go to White Rock on a Friday night. But when you got five kids, 10 and under, do not go to White Rock on a Friday night at 7 o'clock to try and get dinner reservations and find parking. Because White Rock and Crescent Beach are only about 15 minutes apart. So we leave the one beach. Okay, we'll go for dinner. You're our friends. You want to go here. You're a little high maintenance. But uh, we're going to go to White Rock. And so we go. And they're following us in their vehicle. And I kid you not, when you go up uh, Marine Drive in White Rock, there's about three parking lots where all the restaurants are. It is Friday night in July at the beach. And I managed to get us a dinner reservation. But we get to White Rock. And we circled those three parking lots for 45 minutes with kids in the vehicle. And my wife is the worst one. Just go over there. You should have turned that way. This and that. And I'm like, <clears throat> and I just stopped and I looked at her. I said, Bran, enjoy the journey. <laughs> she didn't like that very much. You see, we understand that there's value and there's purpose in the journey. But most of us. Most of us, the reason we don't enjoy the journey is because it is the journey that got us to the place of discouraged, disillusioned, and disenfranchised. The bumps, the bruises, the hurts, the wondering, God, are you really going to come through? All of those things happen, not because God made a promise, but because of the journey. And so we're so attuned to saying, God, I don't want the journey. I just want the destination because the journey brings too many hurts along the way. And one of my favorite theologians, Dr. Seuss, said it this way. He said, you won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. And wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. And wherever you go, you will top all the rest. But I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true. The bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. See, even in a children's book full of idealism and belief and future and dreaming there's a reality that hang-ups and bang-ups happen sometimes things happen in life that aren't your fault maybe they were but needless to say as we make our journey through life even with great promises from God and great future and understanding part of our calling or or searching that out 
on the journey of life, we face delays, we face disappointments, we face hurts, we get hang-ups because of fears and doubts and anxieties. People let us down, they hurt us, and we don't know what to do with it sometimes. And these are the things that leave us in that place of disillusionment and discouragement. But the good news is this, they are never meant to be where we live. Just because they happen, God never intended us for us to stay in those places. See, your here might be a result of some disappointment, some relational conflict. It might be because of something that went awry and you don't even know how to fix it. But that doesn't mean God's called you to live in that place forever. It doesn't mean that you're stuck. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It's simply something that has happened along the way. And God's plan is still to bring you into fullness and life and victory and joy in spite of the things that have happened along the journey. And to think that we are the only people that wrestle with these things. Sometimes we need to just step back because we often think if I had their upbringing, their family, the way the chips fell for them in life, if this worked out for me, if that worked out for me, it would be a lot easier to be where I'm supposed to be right now. Because we've all thought that. We've all felt it at times. We felt if this hadn't happened or if this had lined up, I would have been positioned better. I would have carried less bitterness. I wouldn't have been so overwhelmed or hurt. Uh, You know, I didn't grow up in the right family. I have too much baggage. I'm not as good as them. Uh, All of these things. And and we think we're so isolated and that, that we're the only ones that face them. But the truth of the matter is when we see other people, even when they're moving forward in life, we don't know the hurts, the disappointments, the hang-ups, the wounds, the discouragement that they've been dealing with. They're fighting just as much as you to move forward into another day. But thank God we have a hope in Jesus that says, I'm going to take you there. I'm going to keep bringing you into the things I've called you into. Hang-ups and bang-ups happen, but you don't have to live in them. See, God wants to move you from your here, your situation, and he's still moving you towards all the things he has for you. 2018 is a new year for you to say, God, I don't know if this road is going to be completely smooth or if this situation is going to get worked out tomorrow, but it can be a year where you say, God, I'm going to trust that you're bringing me from here to there. I'm going to anchor my faith in you to take me from where I am and get me to the places you promised no matter what happened you see Paul in the New Testament said this as we look through scriptures every man and woman of God that did great things for God they faced these same insecurities they faced hurts they faced wounds in their lives Paul was a guy that was formerly named Saul and here's a guy that had a little bit of a reputation Saul was most famously known for killing Christians that that's who he was He so violently persecuted the early church. Actually, when you read the account of Stephen, the very first martyr in Scripture, first person who died for the faith, it says, Saul, as a young man, took the coats of the people that were going to stone this guy and said, here, I'll hold your coat. You guys go deal with this. He was so opposed to Christianity, yet... He encounters grace. He meets Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, I'm going to take you from here to there. And I'm going to do something new in your life. And now his name is changed to Paul. And now he has to go through 14 years in the wilderness. He has to go through 
getting accepted by the very people he was persecuting, actually showing that God is working on the inside of him. And he starts doing that. And he actually becomes one of the main church leaders for starting new churches and ministering to other pastors and leaders. And he writes most of the New Testament. But here's a guy that if he focused on his here, God, I was just this. People don't like me, God. They're not going to trust me, all of this stuff. If he would have stayed in that, he would have never got to the things that God had called him to do. But he says this in Philippians to the Philippian church. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. He's telling them about all the great things that God wants to do. He wants to make your church this. He wants to use you in this way. He wants you to do these types of things in the earth. And he says, I haven't obtained all of these things. Or I've not already arrived at my goal. But he said this. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Here's a guy that has a reputation. He has a past. He has things I'm sure he had to walk through mentally and emotionally and relationally in life. And yet he says, as God starts changing and doing all these things, he goes, guys, I haven't, I haven't obtained all of it. But he says, the one thing I do know how to do is this. I know how to press on because I'm going to keep going after everything that Jesus said he had for me. Because God got a hold of my life for a purpose, and I'm not letting go of walking with him until I see that completed. Here's a guy that got tortured, beaten, so many things, but he said, I am moving forward in what God has called me to do. And wherever your here is today, I need you to know that you can move from your here into the there that God has for you. He has purpose for you. He is calling for you. Next year can be your best year yet. Why? Not because you won't have any hang-ups or bang-ups or hurts, but because you can so anchor yourself into a place where you trust and believe and you walk in faith that God is bringing me to where he's called me to be no matter what happens. And that's your hope and that's your security. We can go from here to there. Even though it's a journey from where we are right now, even though we might have to walk through some stuff in the next year, I truly believe that we can all walk in fullness and trust that he's bringing us into the there of his purpose. And I believe this for three reasons. I believe that you can move from here to there because of three things. And the first one is this, because all of us can come to the cave. Everybody say the cave. I feel like everyone's getting a little tired. The cave. It says in the scripture that David came... He, as he left Gath, he escaped to the cave of Dullam. <clears throat> and soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. See, the cave was a place without exclusion. The cave was a place where those that were hurt discontent, their life wasn't all together. It was a place where all of them can come. And the cave is really a picture of this. There is a place in the presence of Jesus where we can bring our hurts, our discouragements, our disillusionments, the discontentment of life, the unfairness, the things that we can't even believe happen. There is a place where we can encounter the presence of Jesus in such a real way that it actually changes the way we carry those things. It says, David escaped to the cave of Dullam. And sometimes what we need to do when we're facing our here 
rather than trying to escape it, rather than trying to make our own way out, we need to find our way to the cave of his presence. We need to find a place, whether it's in your house, whether it's in your car, that you just experience the presence of Jesus. Because sometimes there's things that we got to deal with on the inside because life has hurt us or things aren't going the way we thought. And we just need a place where we can cry out to Jesus and say, God, this is where I'm at, but I need you to strengthen me because I need to believe that you're still taking me where you said you're taking me. For me, like, honestly, my cave is my car. It's kind of ridiculous, but Years ago, I stopped listening to music when I drive, and for some of you, are like, that's got to be so lonely and so insane. But for me, it's the place where I talk to God. While I'm driving, I pray, I cry, I ask God what's going on, I keep my eyes open, just so you know. <laughs> but, you know, you need a place where you can say, God, like, What's going on here? Can you speak to me? Can you show me what's happening? Or if not, even if I don't get an answer, can you strengthen me to make it to another day? But the the problem is, like David, most of us don't go there first. A lot of us think David was this guy that always had it right, you know, other than that Bathsheba thing, but, you know, that he went to the presence of God and he prayed and he was this man after God's heart and all these things. And, and those were all true. But did you know that when David flees from Saul, actually what he did, the, the cave was like the third place he went. David flees from Saul and he's got a little bit of uh, battle under his belt. He's got a little bit of life experience now. And all of a sudden when he's fleeing from Saul, the first thing he does is he goes to the priest at Shiloh and he doesn't go there to worship, but he goes there and he says, hey, do you have any bread and do you have a sword? Like going to the house of God and asking for, you know, money and a weapon, basically provision for the next few days was him saying, look, I've lived in the wilderness before. I've been at war with very little food. I know how to fight off my enemies. I just need something to get me to a place so I can keep myself safe. And and David makes this weird, absurd comment that I never understood for years in Scripture. Because when he goes to to Shiloh, he asks for a sword. And and the priest says, there's no sword here except for the sword of Goliath, whom you killed when you were 17. And David says this. He says, give it to me, for there is nothing like it. That's just crazy. Crazy. This kid that, I mean, he beat lions and bears in the field because the presence of God was with him. When he defeated Goliath, he even said, it's not I who will defeat you, but the Lord God of heaven that will defeat you today. But then he takes Goliath's sword and be like, man, that's a symbol of what kind of warrior I am. Now I have food. Now I have a sword. I'm going to take care of this myself. You ever done that? Things start going wrong in life. You get stuck in a situation that you don't want to be in, that you shouldn't be in. We start running around all over the place trying to fix it ourselves. And perhaps, just perhaps, maybe if we would get to the cave a little bit sooner, we would have some wisdom from God and a calming in our spirit to trust Jesus through whatever we have to walk through. I'm not saying we don't provide and work and and fight those battles. We have to. But when we're doing it in our own strength, we're just going to become more discouraged, more disillusioned, and, and wonder what's going on. Because that sword and that bread actually led David to another place he didn't want to be, and that was in Gath. So instead of going to this cave right away or fleeing to ask God what he should do, he actually goes to Gath with Goliath's sword. Anybody see a flaw with this problem, like plan, like... If you killed a giant, 
Everybody in Gath, Goliath of Gath, you killed him. They probably know who you are, right? And then you show up in Gath seeking protection with Goliath's sword. And so David goes there and King Achish lets him come in, but then all of a sudden his advisors and these other kings and rulers are saying, we don't want him here, we don't trust him. And David gets so anxious and so overwhelmed and so filled with fear that he actually fakes being insane. So they leave him alone. And sometimes in our lives, that's what happens. We get stuck in a here moment. And I don't know what yours is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's finances, whether it's what you're supposed to do for your future. And we get so focused on that, we start frantically trying to fix things or do things. And then we find ourselves getting more and more anxious and more and more overwhelmed and filled with fear and more excuses of why God's not coming through and wondering where he is. But David finally wises up and he gets to places like, I need, I need to get to a place where I can pour out my heart before God. So he goes to the cave. And these other men start coming. They start realizing there's a place we can go when we can deal with all of this stuff. You see, I still believe that when everybody around us, and we have this saying where people say, well, just trust the process. I believe with all my heart that I would rather trust the presence of Jesus than just letting the process work itself out any day of the week. There is a process to some of the things we go through. But it is the presence of Jesus and only the presence of Jesus that will heal your hurts, heal your discouragement, maybe never help you understand your disillusionment, but let you know that he loves you, he's with you, it's going to be okay. See, it's the presence of Jesus that starts healing those things, but it's the strength and presence of Jesus that will help you carry on and help you move to another day. God wants to bring you from your here into your there. But you need his presence. You need to hear his voice. You need to be able to trust him and anchor your faith on him once again. But it brings me to the second thing is that I believe we can move from our here into the there of God's promise because when we find the presence of Jesus, when we get ourselves in the presence of Jesus, we begin to realize that we can fulfill the call of God on our lives and for, fight for something bigger than ourselves. And the key is my life. Everybody say my life. See, you can fulfill the call of God for your life, and I can fulfill the call of God for my life. Not the other way around, not some weird combination of the two. But God has created each and every single one of us, every one of you, with unique giftings and abilities and callings and purpose that he has said, without them, my kingdom and the purpose and the plan I have won't be complete. And so when you get into the presence of Jesus, even in your discouragement, even in your disillusionment, you begin to start seeing that God has value in your life. He loves you. He cares for you. He put those things inside of you for a reason. See, we got to stop running around and trying to compare ourselves to this person and that person because if you try to be everyone else, it just leads back to more discouragement, disillusionment, and hurt. The Bible says in the New Testament, says if we compare ourselves by ourselves, we're not wise. But when we get into the presence of Jesus, we begin to realize that 
hey, I, I can fulfill the call that God has on my life. It's not about everybody else and what they're doing. It's about laying my hurts, my discouragement, who I am before Jesus, and trusting that he created me with such a purpose that he will bring me from my here to my there, not somebody else's there. And we start to believe we could actually fight for something beyond ourselves. See, because your calling is never just about you. God loves you so much, and and your purpose and your calling is valuable, but it's also about other people. And these men, as they came to the cave, they began to fight for something beyond themselves. And I'm pretty sure it didn't mean their debt problems, their discouragement, their hurts all went away in an instance. But what it did mean is they started to catch a spirit that said, if I don't use the things that God put inside of me, other people are going to get hurt. They're going to face hang-ups. They're going to face bang-ups. They're going to face discouragement and disillusionment. And I know what that feels like, so I'm going to do everything I can to fight for others, to fight for something beyond myself. And when you look at some of these men, we see these guys like uh, Shama, who says he fought for the future. He fought for this hill of beans. And it wasn't just a hill of beans. You see, this hill of beans was a field of beans. And this wasn't just about one field. This was about inheritance for his kids and his children's children. It was about the next generation having something. You know, one of the other guys, he fought until his hands stuck to the sword. Everybody else abandoned him and David. But he said, if I don't stay here and fight, there's not going to be any reward or any victory for anybody. He doesn't get all worked up and bent out of shape when they return just in time to collect and reap with the goodness of God. You know, some of you in here, I, I believe that this is totally different than the last service, but I really believe that God is calling some of you to be leaders. And you know what that means? That sometimes means you put in the work that nobody else sees. And then other people come and they think, church is so great, it's so amazing. And you're thinking in your head, yeah, because I stayed here till 2 in the morning last night and made it all happen. But guess what? When you keep your heart right, when you stand and you do those things because you know it's what God's called you to do, other people start reaping the reward of what God's doing in you. And you start finding joy and you start finding excitement start finding your purpose and those discouragements and those disillusionments it's not that they ever just go away but God starts to do something and he starts to heal them and they start to fall away to the side as not as important as what God's called you to do you know Beniah I love this guy Beniah he was this guy that it says he was not as famous as the three yet he was more honored than the 30 I'm kind of like competitive and like to be the best at what I do, but anybody hate that feeling when you're like, okay, you're better than a lot of people, but you'll never be as good as those three guys. Like this is where he lived. This was Benaiah's realm, but rather than getting all bent out of shape about it and like, David, why can't there be four great leaders? Just like you have the three that command the army. Why there can't there be four? But no, he learned to walk in that. He learned that, God, you're going to use me and where you want me. And, and David comes to him and says, I, I want to make you the captain of my bodyguard. I want to bring you close to me. I, I, got a, I got a different job for you. He fulfilled his call, not somebody else's. But then, as he starts fighting for other people, it says one day, he's walking along and he finds this trap. And he finds a lion in a pit, which is something they did in those times. They would cover it with leaves and they would leave a hungry lion in there, hoping that people would fall in. And then as they 
lion starts eating bodies and people, he could climb out and attack the army or people that were walking down the road. And Benaiah says, you know what? I didn't fall into this trap, but I found it. And he says, I guess it's my responsibility now. He jumps into the pit on a snowy day to take out a lion. But why? Because he started to catch a vision for the future saying, if I don't fight this battle, if I don't stand up for this injustice, if I don't start fighting for someone else, people are going to get hurt. People are going to get taken out. And I believe there's people here in this room that God's laid causes on your heart. He's shown you things where he's asked you to stand or to be a voice. And if you don't, other people are getting hurt in the crossfire. The enemy is having a heyday trying to take people out, trying to stop them from experiencing the and he's put you on the path to say you can fight for something greater than yourselves. God's taking you from here to there. You can get there because you can come to the cave of his presence. You can fulfill your call and fight for someone else. But lastly, I want to leave you with this very quickly. One of the reasons I know we can get from here to there that tomorrow will be better with Jesus than yesterday may have been is because the faithfulness of God does not fail. You can be sure of that. You see, he was faithful when we didn't even know we needed him. He is faithful to finish what he starts. This is what the Bible says. And the Bible says this. It says, even when we are faithless, even when our faith is shaken, it says he remains faithful because he can't deny who he is. You know what that means? It means that God can't stop, won't stop being faithful towards his people and the call and the promise. And if we would just give ourselves to him, he is walking with us. He's for us. He is with you in your here. He will be with you tomorrow. He will be with you until you get there, until you meet Jesus face to face and you hear him say, hey, we made it together. I told you we'd do it. I told you that you could do this. This is who God is, and this is his faithfulness, and we can anchor ourselves into this fact. The Bible says in Philippians, this is he who began a good work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. And we doubt that, but the word says he will finish what he started. But most importantly, his faithfulness is so vast and so great that he actually came we didn't know that we needed it. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some perhaps might die for a person who's especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. faithfulness of God is so true so unwavering that even when his creation faltered and fell into sin and it separated us from God he said I am so faithful to having relationship with my people I will send my son to die in their place so I can keep bringing them from the here of their sin and their darkness because I want them there. And where is it there? He wants us in his presence. He wants us in relationship with him. He wants us to experience his goodness and the life that we can find in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus into your life,
It doesn't matter where you've been or where you are right now. Jesus wants to meet you right here, right in that place. And he wants to take you into a relationship with him that he will walk out with you into eternity because he loves you that much. God is in the business of bringing us from here to there. Why don't we stand this morning? And I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Brett in a minute, but I, I just want to ask this as we sing this worship song. I would ask that if you're in a place where you're say, you would say, my here hurts real bad right now. It feels dark. It feels hopeless. I don't know what next year is going to look like. And if I think about it too much, I get anxious. And I, I don't even know if I want to know. I want you to take that and I want you to say, Jesus, I'm here. Acknowledge it before him. He is a big God. He knows where you're at. But there's something about when we come to his presence and we acknowledge it and we say, Jesus, I want you to take my here and meet me so I have strength to keep walking towards your there for my life. That's the response this morning. Surrender it to Jesus afresh this morning. Tell him you're still walking with him. Surrender your here and say, God, show me what the there is. For some of you, it's going to be saying, God, show me the thing that I'm called to fight for. Even in my hurt, even in my brokenness, what is the thing that you're calling me to do so I can do everything and lead other people into their there with you?